You're listening to The Collective Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. I'm going to take us through a bit of a tour of Thomas, the doubter, one of the disciples, and John the Baptist a little bit later. Um, and my talk today is essentially about that space between death and resurrection life that we all experience and that we have all walked through at some points in our lives. The wrestles, the struggles, the doubting, the questioning, finding ourselves in the uncomfortable unknown, kind of like hitting the wrestling mat like Jacob hit. Our wrestles, struggles and doubts can either be doorways into greater trust and greater faith or they can be roadblocks that birth discouragement and giving up. Our walk of faith can sometimes feel natural and all peaches and cream, and sometimes everything we've ever believed is thrust under a microscope and we question, even if it's real, falls into contradiction. So as I said, I'm going to open up two stories, Thomas and John the Baptist. Someone um, wrote this, one of my favorite theologians wrote, the best way to understand scripture is to read the scripture as stories of ourselves. Imagine yourself into the story. And it'll make a whole lot more sense. Be the prodigal son running home. who gets the wind knocked out of him from the father's love. Be King David facing that Goliath. Be Peter who denied Jesus three times but had his love restored. We imagine ourselves into the stories of scripture, not as something separate and something that was for those people. We imagine it as stories of ourselves. And so today as I take us through this little tour, I hope you find encouragement and peace. Truly, that is my number one prayer. So John 20, verse uh, 19 to 29. I'm going to read it. If you have your Bibles, you may turn there now. Um, or your phones. But just a bit of context. So Jesus has left the tomb. He's risen. Uh, Mary's gone to the tomb and it's empty. And then Jesus shows himself to Mary. And as Chris said uh, two weeks ago, like Mary didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. And Jesus says, Mary, it's me. And then she's gone and told the disciples. So where we find ourselves in Scripture is at that point. The disciples have gathered together. Uh, verse 19, John 20. That evening the disciples gathered together. Because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. And then he showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. One of the 12 wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them. It was Thomas, whose nickname was Twin. So imagine yourself as the twin today. So the disciples informed him, we have seen the Lord with our eyes. Still unconvinced, Thomas replied, there's no ways I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands and touch him with my finger and put my hand into the wound of his side where he was pierced. Then eight days later, circle eight days, Thomas and all the others were in the house together. And even though all the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them and spoke peace. 
Then looking into Thomas's eyes, he said, put your finger here in my wounds. Here, put your hand into my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Then the word spilled out of his heart, Thomas's heart. You are my Lord and you are my God. Jesus responded, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts, and they will be blessed even more. So some context. The disciples up to this point had given everything to follow Jesus. Everything. They convinced family members that they weren't going crazy. They quit jobs that they were maybe doing quite well in. They'd given up everything for this Jesus, the Messiah, Savior of the world, and he was now dead. Very, a very inhumane suffering. Imagine the conversations running up to this point amongst the disciples. Imagine that walk to that room that day, what they were discussing with each other. Imagine the atmosphere in the room. It's dark, it's quiet, just in complete shock of the situation. And they'd locked the doors tight because they worried that the ones that took Jesus were coming to get them. All hope must have been lost. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears, shouting, Get up, you lazy Christians. Get out there. Go and come on. No. I think that's how we think Jesus speaks to us sometimes. He speaks peace and he breathes his spirit. And these disciples experience his resurrected body. And now Thomas, who was much a friend and follower of Jesus, as all the other disciples, was not there that day. <clears throat> Thomas had set his terms of believing. Until I see these wounds in his hands and scars and pierced side, I, I cannot believe. So Thomas was experiencing a bit of a roadblock at this point, to put it lightly. And I think we can all relate to Thomas in some way, right? Yeah. You believe I'm a dad because you've seen my kids running around? I believe you're here because you're sitting in front of me. But Thomas, he has his friends saying, hey, Jesus is alive. And he's like, thanks, brothers. I hear what you're saying. Um, but until I see the wounds and the scars, I just cannot believe. So Thomas hears these three words proclaimed from his excited friends, and he's perplexed, and he doesn't know what to do with this truth because he didn't have their experience. He wasn't in the room that day. It's a roadblock because he saw Jesus died and he had his assumption that the situation was dead. So Jesus is alive, I think for Thomas, sounded more of a tease than it did a truth. And maybe it's the same for us sometimes um, when we hear truth proclaimed, you know? God is good all the time. All the time. And I don't mean to make light of it, but... Would you respond right now with a positive, yes, amen, you God, of course. Or if you're honest, are you like, yeah, you know, right now, I'm just not sure. Give me, give me a couple of days. I, I'm, I'm not, that it's feeling more of a teasing than giving me a truth. I don't know if I can, I don't know where to put that right now. It's that moment where truth hits your reality. It's that moment of collision. And it's the same moment for Thomas. He's questioning every decision he has ever made for the last few years. He's probably thinking, you know, I could have taken that road and become something or made that choice and I would have been better off. He's struggling to believe that with everything his eyes have seen, 
all the torture, all the death, how can he now believe that life can come from this horrid death? How can he believe that life can come from this completely messed up situation? I think that's where he was. It was a contradicting circumstance. It was contradicting how he believed things would go down when he followed Jesus. His assumption. And this doubt was deeply affecting him. <clears throat> Friends, you say Jesus is alive when all I saw was factual death. So it says Thomas walked in this, as I said, to circle for eight days. Eight days of this truth echoing in his mind. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And we all know misery loves company. He probably found some friends on the outskirts and said, hey, like, come confirm my doubt. They, they, they're crazy, aren't they? These disciples who said Jesus is alive. Hey, you know, we try to find to confirm. Let me get some people around me to confirm my doubt, to, to, to completely discredit this truth that's just been spoken to me. Eight days of wondering and wondering. That's an owner, eh? Wondering and wondering. Haven't we all experienced those same eight days? I have. We've all had that waiting room experience. Waiting through depression, lack of finance, sickness, relational strain, marriage uncertainty, death. We can all relate to this feeling. When truth, whether spoken, sang, proclaimed, encouraged, hits our realities and we don't know what to do with it. In those eight days, Jesus could have shown up at like maybe two o'clock on Wednesday and said, hey, Thomas, let's go grab a coffee and let's chat this through. Let's sort this all out in one final conversation. Hey, and come on, Jesus, like you could have maybe given him to Wednesday or something. But Jesus in his grace lets Thomas walk in this. I believe it's grace because he was teaching Thomas that the eyes of your head are not the most reliable things to see truth with and encounter truth with. Our eyes only see fact, but the eyes of our hearts see deeper than what's around and what surrounds. The eyes of our hearts see truth. You know, we can all agree. You now we drive past a house that's kind of dilapidated on the outside, needs a lick of paint, the grass is overgrown. We make an assumption, abandoned, forgotten, run down. That's all our eyes can see is, is fact. And we can all agree on that. Yeah, it is quite run down. It is quite broken. But the truth is, there's a family inside that house that love each other and are making memories and are enjoying life and making the most of that situation. Our eyes cannot see that kind of truth. The eyes of our hearts can go deeper than the situation, can go deeper than what we are so quick to sum up and assume. The eyes in our heads can't see that kind of truth. Sometimes our eyes sum up things as dead, gone, forgotten. When the eyes of our hearts open up the truth of a situation. The hope of a situation. In that opening we connect with joy. We connect with peace. We connect with grace. We connect with love. We connect with hope. It expands our vision of that little dilapidated house that is just factually forgotten and abandoned. So eight days later... And although the disciples have just seen Jesus, they, again, in this room, doors locked out because, again, they're worried that the people who took Jesus are coming to take me. And Thomas, having walked in the space between death and resurrection, carrying all his doubts, fears, and questions, has this time shown up. He's in the room this time. He's not missing out. And again, we see Jesus enter the room and speak peace. But then he turns to Thomas, it says, 
like as if nothing else mattered in that room. Nothing else was as important as this moment. And he says, in his enormous kindness, Jesus says, Thomas, look at my hands. Reach out your hand and touch my side. Don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. It's a precious moment. And I think at this point for Thomas, the fact that Jesus has singled him out and took the time to deal so graciously with this doubter has completely opened up Thomas to the truth of who Jesus really is. In that moment, and for the first time, Thomas sees the truth of the resurrected Christ. He's no longer in that space between death and resurrection. He's seen it in his own, he's encountered it. And it pierces through his unbelief and releases a faithful response. You are my Lord, you are my God. In this room and in this moment, who's the one who's gone deeper with Jesus? It's Thomas. Because he's shown up with his doubts, he's shown up with his assumption, and Jesus hasn't resented him, but welcomes him. Only he could have that encounter because he, Thomas knew what was going on in his heart. And he sees Jesus welcoming him, looking at him as affectionately saying, nothing else matters right now but you. And it's historically proven that Thomas went the furthest than all the disciples. Side note. Thomas went the furthest. He took the gospel further than all the disciples. He ended up in India. Still today, there's some, a group of Christians who call themselves the same Thomas something. And there's a church. And it's St. Thomas Cathedral, whatever it is. And above the church, the entrance says, my Lord, my God. Still to this day, this doubter, this man with honest questions and honest struggles. So for Thomas, in all his uncertainty and lacking in conviction, which is what doubt is, uncertain, lacking in a bit of conviction, the wrestling with your doubts is not the end of the story. No hero becomes a hero by staying in his comforts or safe walls of his palace. It comes in facing the reality of this doubt, of these questions, of this struggle. You fill in the gaps and conquering that giant. So three points I would like to share that I have personally found helpful in walking between this space, this waiting room of death and resurrection. And I don't share these lightly. Um, this is real for me. I, I'm, I can be, I'm a bit of a Jacob at times. I like to go to the wrestling mat with the Lord and, and wrestle through things, not because I'm trying to um, disapprove who he is. It's because I'm trying to see him in the middle of what I'm struggling with. Number one, don't deny your doubt. Number two, be present, be here, be in the room. And number three, focus on Jesus at the center. And I'm going to expand on these three points. So number one, don't deny your doubt. <clears throat> Do not think that exchanging what you are going through for a spiritual ideal or a chin-up theology is going to help. When we face reality, we can find healing. Doubt is what makes faith possible. I've heard it said that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and the discomfort. Faith includes that. That's not opposition to it. It includes noticing the mess, seeing the emptiness, Facing the discomfort. Faith is not trying to bring Jesus into the middle of your mess. Faith is allowing your heart to connect with Jesus who is at the center of your situation, your mess, your room. Does that make sense? And letting him, when your heart connects with him, as I prayed, connects our hearts with yours, Father. He expands our vision beyond that situation. 
Certainty is our preconceived ideas or ideals that we hold on to of how life should go and how the Lord should work. When Jesus came, everyone had an idea of how the Messiah would come. But he didn't come like that, which leads me to John the Baptist, another data. John was Jesus' cousin. He prepared the way of the Lord by telling them that Jesus was coming, and at the end of his life, he ends up in a filthy prison. And he expected that filthy prison because you can only rebuke a wayward king so much and then it ends you up in trouble and you're in prison. So he was very, he very much knew that's where my life's going. I'm going to probably end up in a, in a filthy prison. But what John didn't expect was that he would be riddled with so much doubt and fear at that point of his life. We all know John baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus. He saw the, the, the dove falling on Jesus' shoulder and he heard the audible voice of the Lord. Do you think John doubted in that moment? In that moment, in the water, your loud voice of God, hey, dove coming and landing on Jesus' shoulder. Do you think he doubted? No. But now, stuck in this prison cell, being tormented by these questions, what if I got it wrong? There have been many false prophets up until this point. Why was I so sure he was the one? Sheesh, what if I've led everyone astray? Like, I mean... My cousin Jesus' ministry wasn't everything I thought it would, would turn out to be. Is this prison soul perhaps God's judgment on me? I'm sure that must have run through his head at this point. So he knew he was about to be executed and being executed for righteousness and justice sake, he's okay with. But being executed if he was wrong is something else altogether for John who had given his life to Jesus. And so... John knew, though, in, within John, he had this question, I know Jesus has the answer. I know he can speak truth into my situation. So we know he sends out his disciples, and off they go to Jesus. Jesus is in a moment of ministry with people, and the, and the disciples come up to him and they say, um, Jesus, your cousin John's in a bit of a prison, it's filthy, you know, no food, no water. Can you, can you help us out? Are you the Messiah that we were expecting would come, or should we go look for another? I'm going to read you what he said. Um, are you the coming Messiah we've been expecting, or are we going to continue to look for someone else? And it says, without answering, I'm sure that, that question might have stung Jesus a bit. He was probably like, sheesh, that's my cousin. That's like, my mom's hung out, saw me, the dove, the loud voice. Without answering, Jesus starts doing a healing revival, <laughs> praying for people. People are being saved. People blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The dead are being raised to life. And sometimes when we ask Jesus questions, we just want a yes and a no. And look at Jesus' reply in verse 22. This is Luke 7. So Jesus turns and he starts just, hey, revival breaks out. In front of these disciples, they're sitting there with this question, hey, are you the one? He says, now go back and tell John what you have just seen and heard here today. The blind are now seeing, the crippled are now walking, those who are lepers are now cured, those who were deaf are now hearing, those who were dead are now raised back to life. The poor and broken are given the hope of salvation. That's the answer he gives. And I'm sure they were just like, thanks Jesus, just, just a yes or no, please. Like... <laughs> And they go, and what they didn't hear, Jesus turns back to the crowd and says, there's been no one greater that's been born than John. Another side note, it was prophesied that the Messiah who was coming was going to be the conquering king, 
and the suffering lamb. But all the people wanted was the conquering king. Just come, Jesus, come sort this all out, come and overthrow Rome, and we'll all be good. That's what the people at this time wanted. And it's interesting that in Jesus' response to John, he lists six types of afflictions that afflict people. Real human beings, like you and me. Blind, lame, lepers, deaf, dead, poor. And in that answer, Jesus told John, I'm the conquering king and I'm the suffering lamb. Because if I acted like everyone wanted me to act, I would have banished these, those afflicted people. But not Jesus. He cared for what everyone didn't want him to care about. The Johns, the Janes, the Thomases, the Terrans. <laughs> Just the two. John and Jane. <laughs> this is, do you hear what I'm saying? The broken, the real, the struggling. He came for those people, but they all expected something completely different. But Jesus knew that in that answer, John would recognize that prophecy in those words. And notice Jesus left out, um, he's prophesying from, from Isaiah, that the lame walk. He left out that we are to preach liberty to the captives. Because I think he was being gracious for John's situation. It's like, you're going to know the prophecy in what I'm saying right now, John. You're going to connect with the truth of this. So Jesus knew that this truth and this promise would bring sustenance to John. It wasn't a yes or a no. But John could see deeper and he knew, yes. So all that, it gave John that, that, that faith that sustained him for those next couple of days in that prison cell. In his most darkest moments, he got this promise from Jesus because he knew Jesus would give it to him. Don't deny your doubts. Let them lead you to a greater, deeper, and a greater trust. That's point one. Point two, be present, be here, and be in the room. It's another observation from these two stories. As a father, I've been present for all three of my children's births, which is great. I think, I think it's normal, but a lot of people haven't had that privilege. Two were easy. One was absolutely traumatic. I literally stood on one place screaming, what must I do? What must I do? Whoa! The nurses were like, Ooh, who's this guy? Like, this is a crazy man. And it, it was traumatic, to say the least. And any father that's been present can agree with me, right? You feel helpless. You feel there's so many emotions. You, you just can't take the pain away, but you don't quite not know what to do in those situations. And I remember what the, 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 um, what, uh, the midwife said to us. This is why natural childbirth is so empowering. Because you come face to face with death, but you are birthing new life. Yeah. I thought that was powerful for this, from this midwife. It was so encouraging for us. At the end of it, but obviously. Um, so there's a choice to be present, to face the struggles, to face the wrestle, or we can walk out the room and miss. I'll miss that moment of seeing what was birthed. If I just walked out and been like, ah, it's too much. Don't let your doubts and your concerns or your questions become roadblocks. Let them be doorways into a greater faith and a greater trust. We grow together by carrying one another's burdens. I think there's never been a moment more than any moment now to start learning to carry one another's burdens. It says we are co-laborers with Christ. To labor, to work with our struggles together. Janine could not have labored on her own. By carrying her emotions and fear, I was co-laboring with her as she was birthing the baby. But I was there. I was, I was carrying that frustration, that emotion with her. I was maybe not being that helpful by screaming and running on the spot. But I was there, and I got to share the experience because I was present. I was in the room. I was there. 
Matthew 28, 17. I've always thought that's an interesting scripture. Jesus calls the disciples. He says, go to this mountain together and wait for me there. I don't know what mountain it was, but it was on a mountain and it was somewhere. And off they went on their journey together. And it says, when Jesus appeared, it said they worshipped him. Dot, 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 but some doubted. And I've always thought, like, that's an interesting thing to just throw in there, you know? But as I've gone on my walk, I'm like, ah, it makes a lot of sense now, you know? It's normal. It's like they all worship, but some doubted. And those same group of men went and turned the world upside down for the gospel. So let's be that community where we can bring all of ourselves to the table and we can ask the hard questions and we can grow together and we can co-labor together. Let us not fall into the trap of proving God's faithfulness and His existence through our successes and perfections. Jesus' resurrection body was a transformed, unrecognizable body. Again, some disciples didn't recognize Him and Mary didn't recognize Him. Have you never thought that He could have done away with all the scars? Hang on. You have all that trouble of creating this like, unrecognizable, beautiful body, but you kept the scars there. When Jesus showed himself to the world and the group of disciples, he showed his scars. He showed that the, the place that the nail went through. He says to Thomas, look, Thomas, what held me doesn't hold me anymore. And as we come together, we need to remind each other that what held you even though you're speaking it out and you're bringing and we're collaborating and we're wrestling through together, what held you doesn't hold you anymore. It's through the messiness of our lives that we show the redemptive power of Jesus to our world. That is the truth. That is our testimony that should encourage us to be present, to be here, to share with one another our own unique stories. Number three, focus, and this is my ending point, Focus on Jesus at the center of it all. Our wrestles, struggles, and doubts can either be doorways into greater trust and greater faith, or they can be roadblocks that birth discouragement and giving up. Cancel out what doubt is attempting to birth within you. The account of Thomas is not just Thomas seeing Jesus as resurrected, as perfect, as whole. The account of Thomas is seeing that you can be wounded and resurrected at the same time. Jesus walked humanity back to the Father's heart through peaches and cream. No, through love and suffering. Unfailing love and suffering. He walked humanity back to the Father's heart. Jesus is a revelation, and we know this, but I'm going to speak some gospel truth. Jesus is the revelation of God himself. His love, his affection, his passion, his works, everything we read about is literally the Father heart of God revealed. Jesus had to become fully human and be fully God. And by Jesus walking the dust of the earth was heaven throwing out that bridge across the chasm that separated us. Jesus on the end of that bridge, boom. Because if Jesus didn't come, there would be no foundation to hold that bridge for us because there was nothing we can do. Nothing in our own strength that could add to what Jesus had to walk through. So Jesus stepping on this earth was that bridge that provided a foundation on that side and the foundation of heaven. He walked the myths, the myth. He's got his feet dirty with our dust. When Jesus died, we died. When he rose, we rose. When he presented himself to the Father, he presented us to show us we are already accepted. We always hear, yeah, no other God has stepped off his throne to save us. You know, he steps off his throne 
He took our place to give us a place on his throne as beloved sons and daughters. He had to take our place so that we could have a place. I want to end with this quote, which I think just beautifully sums up everything I've spoken today. What overwhelms me is the sheer humanness of Jesus. Jesus as the baby at Bethlehem. Jesus sitting tired and thirsty at the well outside Samaria. Jesus exhausted by the crowds. Jesus recuperating his strength through sleep at the back of a ship of Galilee. Jesus hungry for figs on his way up to Jerusalem. Jesus weeping at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus thirsting for water on the cross. For that precisely is God with us and one of us, Emmanuel. God is the wailing infant in Bethlehem. God sharing our weakness and exhaustion, God sharing our hunger, our thirst, our tears, our pain and death, far from overwhelming us, God with us and one of us does the very opposite. For in sharing with our weakness, he does not override our humanity. He completes, perfects and establishes it. That's Jesus, the suffering lamb, the suffering servant and the victorious conquering king. Let us be fascinated with both. He doesn't speak from just conquering king. He speaks from suffering servants as well. He doesn't just speak from suffering servants. He speaks from conquering king. So may we see this with the eyes of our hearts as we find ourselves in the waiting room between death and resurrection. Is that good? Amen. listening. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za.